0: Welcome, if you're just joining us for the first time in this um, series, as Pastor Ephraim mentioned, that we've captioned Grow Up. uh, It's a series in the first letter of Paul that we have to the Corinthians, and um, today we're going to be dwelling in a section in chapter 7, verses 16 to 24. Um, I mean, in starting this section of letter, Paul's concern, even as we look at it, is just to keep the fellowship in, uh, in Christ uh, as one that presents a good testimony. One that presents a good testimony is not in itself uh, come to disrupt things socially. And uh, you see that as something that has carried on and continued even through chapter 7, right up to where we are going to be looking at today. And um, the thing here in today's um, section, as we look at it, is that whatever uh, a believer's station in life, uh, our testimony as a believer comes really not to disrupt or overthrow things, but indeed to make it, all the better because essentially the relationship that we have even as believers in christ is a relationship with god so um just very quickly um as also by, by way of introduction when we saw the last couple of weeks how becoming a christian does not mean leaving your partner doesn't mean divorce it doesn't mean necessarily getting married and and so on so we will see a couple of things in the text as we're looking at today but some things just as a, as um hangers for which to see how Paul progresses in the conversation in this part of the letter uh for us to indeed abide with God where he has called us and to and to uh indeed, walk as God has actually given to us uh, as we come into Christ. And uh, the other thing you will see, just some other other hooks to hang the thoughts for today's sermon on, um, is that indeed, he illustrates this in a couple of ways, in two ways, really. One, with regard to the relationship of believers who find themselves circumcised, whether circumcision or not being circumcised is really nothing, but is actually um, what matters is actually remaining obedient to God. And the other uh, illustration he brings out is that indeed um, believers can live as slaves who are indeed free to serve as slaves in Christ or if they can obtain their freedom, they're free to live as freedmen who live as slaves for Christ. But the point still being, overall, abide with God where you are called in Christ. So that said, let's just look at the text. Where let's just read the read the text that we're looking at today, and then um, go into the an explanation and just see the illustrations that we have from the section. I'm going to read First Corinthians chapter 7, reading from verses 17 to 24. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For... He who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you indeed for um, preserving these accounts for us even to this day. Um, it's amazing that we should come to this point, even in this sermon, in this letter, at this time um, with the current upheavals and um, protests and calls for social justice, for change in, our, in the world. Um, we pray, Lord God, that uh, you would speak to us out of your word today. Let us know your heart. Let us know how we as believers indeed can actually contribute, add, enlighten, and inform the conversations, yet bearing good testimony to your name and to your call upon our lives, to your, indeed, your claim upon our lives as believers. Lord, thank you. Um, Teach me, Lord. Um, Let me speak your word today. Let me speak out of your heart out of your spirit, Lord, um, to the glory of your name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're looking at this um, point. First thing that um, Paul really is, is straight out of the gate highlighting as we come to this section. You know, walk indeed as God has distributed and walk as the Lord has called. That's key, that's important. We see that in verse 17. Um, You see, as believers, in in our relationship with God, or our walk, rather, as Christians, is primarily one of a relationship with God through Christ. That's primarily who we are. As a spiritual relationship, we talk about being born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit and being born again being added to the body of christ Um, christ talks a lot about his kingdom not being an earthly one but a spiritual one being a heavenly one nevertheless does god not have anything to do with the world does god not have anything to do with the affairs of men he certainly does he rules and reigns over all the affairs of men and we will see in some some as we go to the illustrations, some things which God is involved and in overall, but well yet still go on under God's watchful eye, under God's authority, under God's power, all subject to God. Um, so in the first place, the point made here is that um, we are called of God this is first thing that needs to be established for everyone who's listening to this today and this is first takeaway are you called by god do you have a relationship with god do you have a spiritual relationship with god through faith in jesus christ that's important paul's addressing you and i here paul's addressing us all here with regard to that calling with regard to that relationship It's important to bear that in mind and have that um, settled. And then uh, some of the things that we'll see Paul talking about come and have uh, significance for us, even as believers in the world. So um, that said, you see, in the kingdom of God, there is opportunity and calling to serve the Lord. Uh, in the enabling that he gives. There's a, there's a term Paul uses here, and he uses it a lot of times just basically to highlight this principle that the Lord distributes as, as God distributes. Um, in preparing for this, I just thought, how, how best can we illustrate this? How best can we make this point and take it home? I took a cursory look at a parable that Jesus Christ spoke of in Matthew. It's recorded in Matthew 25, reading from verse 13 to uh, 14 to 30, where he talks about a, ma- a man going away on a journey, giving portions of his goods to his servants, um, and giving to each one of them according to their ability. And indeed, on return they all come back, giving an account of how they've used the talents that he has given to them, the portions of his wealth he's given to them. You see, in Christ, as we come into relationship with Christ, as we come into a relationship with God in a spiritual relationship, um, God doesn't really do away or push aside our personality and so that we all become, you know, types of each other just one prototype and then we're all the same, kind of like agents in the matrix. We're all Mr. Smiths. We're all look alike. We all act the same way. We're different. We're varied as we come, you know. um, sometimes, Sometimes I'm just laughing at myself here, thinking about my accent as I speak right now. You know, when I speak with certain people, I mean, the Nigerian in me comes out. I am Nigerian, okay? And that God does not remove. I still be Omo Naija. you know? That God doesn't take that away at all from any one of us. There's people, I mean, my pastors are Jamaican. I've got brothers who are from all parts of the world, but they're believers. Now, God recognizes this, and God has actually distributed all of us, though we are all believers, across the globe. Nigerian, Ghanaian, from from Dominica, from Barbados, wherever. God doesn't remove all those things away from us as believers. We're still believers all the same. Now, guess what? In talking about how God distributes here, Paul points... Paul uh, makes a point that, look, God distributes people in this way. And just just think about how each of us can be useful to God in our various callings, in our various stations in life. Um, I remember traveling to Nigeria back in 2011 with Pastor Rob. He was invited to go and speak and preach there and teach at a, at a, um, at a, at a conference and needed somebody to come along with him. But then I thought, mm. he thought, who could actually come with me on this and kind of assist in, you know, helping me feel safe and confident to do what I need to go and do out there. But, okay, here's this brother who's Nigerian. The same way, there are people you can reach as a believer Nigerian as you are, or whatever um, uh, whatever your calling is in life. And I'm just, just thinking about this as well. When you think about how God distributes to each person, take this church, for example. There was one time where the church was just full of teachers, just full of musicians, just full of people who were into um, uh, music. And you see, where, what God has been able to do with this ministry indeed is a reflection of the calling and the way God and how God has distributed to those that he has given the ministry to, that he has given the ministry to start off, to begin, and it quite reflects in its fabric. So that way, God calls and recognizes wherever we are, however we're placed, whatever our station is in life, God can use us right there, Individually, you may look at some other person and suppose that, ah, I can't really do what that person does, you know. I can't preach like Pastor Rob, or I can't do outreach like Pastor Mike. Listen, God still has use for you where you're at. There may be one person that you can actually get to and reach, and because of where you are in life uh, when you come to Christ, That's important to God. It's not um, a small thing or something to be just pushed aside. Don't bury it, dig it up, recognize it. This is the thing Paul is actually, this is the overriding principle that Paul's actually um, um, making here. So become aware of what what, what your calling is, become aware of where you're at, um, where you are as a believer in the place, at the time you're called to Christ, at the time you come to faith in Christ. Look for opportunities to invest and make use of the grace that God has placed upon your life. Tell about the goodness of God. You may think it's, it's, there's no story to be told. There's, no, there's nothing to be told. You've had a horrible life, but now you're in Christ. That's a testimony that God can use right there where you are. Small as you may be in your own eyes, um, you're called in that place to serve God, to testify for him as his servant. That's putting the talent that God has given to use even for his kingdom, amen. Now, going on, let me uh, belabor the point. I I just realized time time really flies when you're standing up here. He illustrates, we go straight to the, to, the, to the first illustration that Paul makes of this relationship and of this point. Verse 18 and 19, he says, Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, these guys, um, these, these Corinthian believers now find themselves as believers in Christ, both Gentiles, as all people who were not Jews originally, and Jews who don't want to have anything to do with Judaism anymore. So they're all wondering, what does this mean? I was circumcised, or I'm not circumcised. And there are all kinds of external pressures um, trying to get them to identify with the Jews, on the one hand, those who are thinking about being circumcised, and those who don't want to identify as Jews because of pressures in society at the time to um, identify with the culture, um, Christians, there's a, there's a bit of background there, but Christians, or Jews rather, having had a history of um, non, non-supportive, uh, a kind of non-supportive identity or role against Roman, Roman government and Roman occupation, just were frowned upon by the society but now wanting no longer to identify. But Paul's saying, guys, there is really no need for this. There is really no need for this. And so question becomes then, what should they do? Should they be trying to be circumcised? Should they be trying to get uncircumcised? Um, Well, the point Peter makes is circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping of the commandments of God. Uh, if you, there, there, there was an, there's an account in the um, Acts of the Apostles, for example, in chapter 11, this addressing the Gentiles, those faced with the pressure to identify and be circumcised, uh, where Peter explains to Jews who took issue with Peter going to associate and actually eat with guys who were not Jews. These are Jews who become believers. And um, there, Peter explains to the, to, the, to the brothers, look, how he heard a voice telling him what God has cleansed no longer call unholy. So those men not being circumcised the guys who complained thought those men who were not circumcised actually defile you. They defile your, your relationship with God. But Peter's explaining, no, not really, because God has actually identified and received and welcomed these believers into Christ. So there really isn't a place for or a need for believers who were, Jew, who were not Jews to identify Uh, by circumcising. Now, look, um, when we think about how uh, um, how to shed some more light on this point. Now, we may, at this juncture, just make almost an immediate transference of this into the current, you know, arguments for social justice and, and not yet see how we can relate to this. You see, much as circumcision could have been mistaken and still is even now in some cultures as a sign, seen as still regarded as a sign or a mark of being in the right place with God, um, one's got to be careful uh, to bear in mind that what circumcision was to those believers um, could be like us being forced to try too hard to identify with other people in the church for their sakes. Let me repeat that point. So whereas in, back in the day, the, the, the believers who were not Jews were making so much of an effort or tempted to make so much of an effort to identify with the church, or identify with Jews who wanted them to be circumcised. In our day, do we face pressures like that? Do we face pressures to try and identify too hard with those in church who want us to look a certain way, with those in church who are believers, who want us to look or conform to certain practices for their sakes? You know, in doing so, what what would we be doing? Would we be, would be encouraging their irresponsible or unwelcoming behavior towards new believers? Would we be um, asking people who God has already received to kind of go through some additional tests which we want to introduce as a measure for accepting them into the body of Christ? People don't have to conform to our social class, for example. You don't have to have the same hold to the same arguments that we hold to. Of course, where they're non-essential arguments about um, our faith and our conviction, our relationship with Christ. They don't have to belong to a certain kind of employment, for example, for for instance. I mentioned earlier on, I remember when back in the day just joining, um, just beginning to have fellowship with Ecclesia back then, Calvary Chapel, South London. Gosh, there was a point where I thought, is this me or is this the culture here? Does everybody have to, you know, does everybody have to dress a certain way? Does everybody have to love hip-hop music? Do we all have to be in the teaching professions? And It wasn't, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't conveyed to me that that had to be the case. But I got to a point where I thought, boy, you are trying too hard to identify and fit in. You don't have to, are you saved? That's the big question. That's the important question. Um, So, you know, think about this in terms of how this could apply. Are you a believer in Christ, and maybe in trying to dissociate from a culture that you no longer hold to or that you no longer believe in maybe you i mean this is common amongst uh some parts of some believers from some parts of a country where i'm where I'm from originally you know you may have been named according to some deities and um traditional beliefs and so on, and coming to Christ, just do a total, absolute disruptive change of name, change your phone number, change your address, dissociate from family and not want to have anything whatsoever to do with them. Question. How does that testify about your relationship with Jesus Christ to those that we dissociate from. How does that testify? Of course, the the, the enabling to testify about Christ, the enabling to testify about the salvation that, that God brings is indeed the transformation that he brings by his own power in and upon our own lives. He's given us those treasures. He's given us those talents. Let's just Carry, find opportunity to invest them, to share them, to spread the good news of what he's done in our own lives and trust that God, whose word says that as long as there is heaven and earth, there will be sowing and reaping. He will see those seed that we sow. He will see those talent that we go and use and the testimonies that we share of him glorifying his name. He will work that out the glory of his name so that our um, determination to just switch or the temptation to just break away completely or revolt in um, either identifying too hard with a particular culture that we think is Christian or breaking away so hard from a culture that we find maybe personally offensive. Uh, we've got to weigh carefully. How does this affect our testimony? And how does this serve uh, our relationship with Jesus Christ? How does this serve his kingdom? So, um, I was going to give another application, but I'll I, I leave, that, leave that aside for, for time. But just to mention, you know, this is the beautiful thing about... Um, that, that this illustration actually takes home for me. It's, it's great to know that even in God's future plans, as he reveals to John in Revelation, in God's plans, in, in when things are all wrapped up and in God's presence, you know, the, the scripture tells me about there being multitudes from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, in the presence of God, testifying, praising God, worshiping him. So um, points, the first illustration, that, 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 just that to conclude, the first illustration, you know, um, circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing but keeping God's commandments is what matters. Essentially, let's not make too much of a hard break from, um, where we are or where we find ourselves when we come to christ glorifying the lord in our lives and our testimony is what matters now paul reiterates the point again the principle of remaining where we are in the same calling with christ where god has put us where god has brought us to and it does that in verse uh 20 but brings up a second illustration of the same point. A second illustration of the same point. Are you called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. I'm laughing at myself. I I, I did this in King James. <laughs> For well, he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. Now, point here. Um, we, can, we, can enslave, we can be enslaved as the Lord's free man. That's addressing the Corinthians. Uh, are free to serve as Christ's slave. What's his point here? Now, as I come round to this straight, I make no commitment to transform these verses into a campaign boss for the current protests. So let's just, you know, put that to one side for a second. But imagine a city which by the second century had, listen to these numbers, a population of 300,000 free citizens and 460,000 slaves. More slaves than free citizens. You know, picture this, slave and slave owner. The owner has a fruit farm worked by the slaves that he owns. I mean, we're hearing about a shortage of um, strawberry pickers in this country at the moment, right? The slave owner becomes a believer. Does that make him a doormat? You know, do we, do we, suddenly, say, do, does, do we suddenly say, right, bro, you got to let all your slaves go. Does he let all his slaves go? Question, think about it. If he does, should he come to terms with them on which they're free to stay or leave? What happens to his business? Just, so just imagine this guy is trying to deal with all these dilemmas. Don't get me wrong, I ain't, I'm not justifying slavery. I mean, I can, I, can, I can see some squirming in their sofas right now. Um, picture this again. A slave becomes a believer. Does he ask to be let go? On what grounds? If the master doesn't agree, what to do? Start a union? Start a riot? Burn the farm? Now... In all of these questions I pose, these figures I give you a reality that the Corinthians had to live with. Now, I don't know where, um, if you're familiar with the book of Philemon, or the letter of uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, I don't know where Onesimus originally came from, but it is worth reading that letter Um, Of Paul to Philemon, because it does open our minds to the grace of Jesus Christ in the midst of no less difficult times for slaves. I know we're all familiar with modern, with recent history about slavery, and that's taking a lot of attention now. But think about this carefully. I mean, Abraham's descendants were going to be enslaved in Egypt. They were going to be enslaved in Egypt, God told Abraham. And that includes being oppressed institutionally right there in Egypt. I mean, if you read in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 11, the people were oppressed. They, They appointed slave masters, task masters, because these guys were getting large in number, just in similar proportions to what we just read. In Corinth. Um, But God was aware of all of these things. He was aware of all these things, even before they happened. Now, again, I say don't start squirming in your seats, because (laughs) in both of these instances, Paul, writing to Philemon, is doing something there. He's making a personal appeal to uh, Philemon to be gracious. Philemon was a slave owner who'd become a believer as well. And his slave Onesimus had done a run, you know? Done a runner, taken off, but while he was away, became a believer as well. So just picture that for a minute. These are real life situations, not imagined. And then Paul makes an appeal to the owner of the slave to receive him back. How easy could that have been for him? And not only to receive him back, but to receive him back as a brother in Christ. And receive him back not as a slave, but as a freed man. Now, I emphasize that point because the thing that comes out here and is very clear to see is that we're dealing with human beings here and that's where the problem lies and this is where the grace of Christ comes in. This is where the salvation, the work of redemption that Jesus Christ does comes in. Paul wouldn't have any grounds to appeal to Philemon to receive uh, Onesimus back but for their relationship in Christ, lovely letter, worth reading, worth reading. Um, let's move on quickly because of time. But what Paul was doing there was absolutely countercultural, absolutely countercultural. Now, God via Moses, in the other instance, says to Pharaoh, "Let my people go." God heard the God heard the, their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. God was aware of all those things. In fact, God said he himself is aware of the sufferings of Israel in Egypt under their harsh slave masters. It's kind of odd just picking these illustrations and I didn't um, select them to, you know, put my bet on on a horse here. But it's odd that there is a sense in which The oppression of the slavery recorded in scripture and the deliverance that God brought about for Israel out of Egypt somewhat reflects the promise of salvation that we have a hope of receiving in Jesus Christ. We're in the world. There's loads and tons of injustices here. So many. Did I say, don't cry out when you're oppressed? Of course not. And I say, don't try to protest um, harsh treatments. No. Don't even seek the salvation of those who mistreat you. It doesn't extend to that. Seek their salvation. Is God aware of what believers face right now? Is God aware of believers caught in injustices of all kinds human trafficking, child prostitution, religious abuse, sexual abuse, police brutality, child pornography, child abuse? Corruption and bribery, I mean, in many of our own home countries, diverse as we are, we know the kinds of things that, the injustices that take place, they are they're so wide scale and just leave you oh, exasperated, kind of out of fight completely. Does it, does it mean don't fight, don't, don't make noise about it? It's the reason we have Scripture saying that the world, the world, um, the entire world, actually—I I, I want to paraphrase. But I can't remember the exact what the, what the passage says exactly, but the world actually waits. The world that God said the world in frustration. In, there's an order in the world right now that is quite frustrating, but yet the whole world is looking for its redemption right now. There's, I've said it here before many times, there's no political leader, there's no ruler in the world that's going to bring salvation or solution to all of mankind, okay? Um, but should we stand for these things? No. Is God aware of these things? Yes. Should we keep quiet about these? No, definitely not. So, coming home, look at look at this illustration. Paul Paul isn't asking for the guys to revolt, unionize, and become you know slaves union for freedom. Look at that. Doesn't say that Christianity was not instrumental in ending the slave trade. For example, in the UK, it was instrumental. People would cry out and should cry out against injustices, but um, that's, is that the primary call? Is that the purpose for which we are called to be in Christ? We have parts to play, but is that primarily what um, we're called to do? I leave that question there uh, for you to think about. Now, In conclusion, and this is the point again that Paul highlights and has highlighted throughout, you are bought with a price. You're bought with a price. I I believe that any Corinthian reading letter would appreciate that, would appreciate the uh, analogy of that to being a slave, bought with a price. I mean, here are slaves clamoring to be Asking questions, now a believer, should we just walk if the, if the boss says, hey, that farm, bring the sugar cane in. Should we just walk and tell him, no, you do it yourself. <laughs> but here is he, There's Paul telling them, you bought with a price. Kind of like, Paul, that's rude. No, it's not. You are bought with a price. You can understand that you are free to be, the Lord's, you, you, you're enslaved and you can be the Lord's freedman where you're at, but at the same time, you, you can be free, but consider yourself enslaved to Jesus Christ. What better um, owner to have than the Lord Jesus Christ? And he's come back round, back to the point he's making again from the beginning. You're bought with a price, be not ye servants of men, remain where you are called, let everyone remain where he is called, and there abide with God. So, what have we said so far? Has God called you? Are you called? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's important. But Wherever you're called, don't be looking to make disruptive or drastic changes to um, think, okay, there's an ideal social situation in which you must be to be effective as a believer in Christ. We are called as servants of Christ. Jesus paid a price with his blood to buy our redemption. We're free now to serve Christ. Only let's use that freedom to serve Christ, further his kingdom, expand and tell the testimony of his goodness upon our lives. That's what we're called to do, even with the freedom that we now have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you indeed for the mysteries of the gospel. I don't pray saying mysteries, you know, like needing to have left somebody confused and you know, run away from the arguments of the day for social justice. But grateful, Lord God, that you have your eyes on everything. There's nothing happening in the world today that you are not aware of. And to this, your word remains, your promise remains. There's an eternal kingdom of righteousness where it would reign. And still, Lord, you call us to present all these injustices of our day to you. All those many things I mentioned, Lord. You know, human trafficking, can you imagine that? Who would think that there would still be slavery in this day and it's not simply called slavery? Lord, bring deliverance. Hear the cries of those who are indeed in dire straits, in difficult situations. Hear, Lord God, even all the injustices that we see going on Not just the popular ones, but even the ones that are unheard of. And we pray, Father, let the voices of those who cry out to you not escape your notice. Bring justice, Lord, even as you bring your righteous kingdom. Bring it to bear, even in the affairs of men, as we pray this day. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.